Good morning, Lake City. Well, I thought the, the first service this morning, I thought, yeah, they're either nine o'clockers, they're probably kind of asleep. They were on fire this morning. So you guys, you guys got to at least match them, okay? There's a few more empty seats, so you're going to have to really bring it today. And of course, you know the Saturday nighters, those guys are crazy, right? You know that, because I'm a Saturday nighter typically. And uh, yeah, that's a wild bunch there. So, uh, so we had a wonderful time uh, last night and this morning, and, and I just want to thank Lake City Community Church for giving me an opportunity to speak again to you, and I'm very excited uh, to share with you uh, this, this morning. Uh, Mission 127 has been a ministry partner of Lake City Community Church for many years, and it is an honor and a privilege uh, to partner with this church, and especially my home church. We, we love that. And uh, we know some of you, and some are new, and some we've known for a while, um, I didn't bring my family this morning. They would have filled up, uh, yeah, about right there, maybe to there. So here's a picture of my family. Uh, we have 11 children and four beautiful grandchildren. Uh, they're all kind of mixed in there. My grandson said he wasn't in the picture, so I'm in trouble for that. Hard to find a, a photo with all of us in one picture, but there's my family, and uh, we love being part of Lake City Community Church. I'm also thankful that Mission 127 is a strategic partner with uh, Lake City, and that Lake City's, uh, that's one of the global focuses, is, is Ethiopia. And also how we help support and align with one of Lake City Community Church's uh, core values, which is to care for widows and orphans. And so I appreciate that very much, that we can help support that, that core value. We're making many changes this year in the ministry. Many exciting things are going on. I don't think I have a conversation with our team without using that word exciting like 10 times. And I genuinely mean that. It's the one thing I was excited about in 2020, if you know what I mean. It was something that we could really uh, get excited about. So I might use that word a few times, so I apologize in advance. Um, one thing we're doing is we're updating our name. We found that there's a lot of Mission 127s out there. We've had a few sponsors say, I gave to some ministry in Ukraine. I'm like, oh, that's not good. I don't think we're in the Ukraine. So we're updating our name. We're going to be Family Hope International. We're literally going through this name change like right now, like today. And so we'll do our best to communicate that. The ministry's staying the same. We're just kind of updating uh, our name to more align with what we actually do. So more about that later. I'm also excited today to share about a new expanding ministry opportunity that we have as a church. And I'm going to share more about that a little bit later uh, this morning. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you for this opportunity for us as your church uh, to hear what you have for us uh, through your word and by the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So we're thankful for this opportunity. Lord, do uh, exactly what you want to accomplish in each of our lives, in our hearts, and in our faith this morning. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start by reading a passage from Matthew chapter 17, starting at verse 14. And when they had came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus said, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. 
And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we cast it out? He said to them, Because you're little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. That's a lot. Wow. Jesus just tells us what mountain-moving faith is. He tells us right here what world-changing faith is. He says, just a grain of a mustard seed. Well, guess what? For the sake of illustration, I'm looking for it. It's coming. Okay. I got it. Just this much. Can you see it? You guys see it back there? How about you guys over here? Can you see it? This much faith. Oh, is this better? How about now? Can you see it now? Anybody? No? Why can't you? What? Just this much. Maybe if I drop it, maybe you'll hear it. Let's see. Did you hear it? Jesus says that much faith can move a mountain. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe the words of Jesus? He said it. So my question for you, how big is your faith today? Really, how big is your faith today? Not three years ago, right now. How big is your faith today when you walked in here? How bold is your faith? Do you have bold faith this morning? How bold is it right now? I'm not talking about next week. I'm talking about right now. Do you believe that God can use you to change the world today? Do you believe that? Any amens? Maybe a half of one? That would be a um. Are you open today to allowing God to use you to change the world? Because sometimes we're just not open. Are you open to allowing God to use you today to change the world? Anybody? Okay, all right, we're getting, you guys are, nine o'clock was a little, never mind. All right, world-changing faith can move mountains. It can drop giants. It can shut the mouths of lions. It can open doors. It can break chains. It can change lives. So what if I told you today that before you leave this church, you will have the opportunity to move mountains and change the world for generations far beyond your lifetime? Would you believe me if I told you that? Thank you. Nobody said no. We're good. My hope is that you will see how God can use that to practically and personally do this very thing this morning. We've been challenged by this month's Bold Faith series to step out in bold faith and live our faith out loud. And we have the opportunity to change the world one life at a time. Let's look a little bit at how world-changing events have led to personal crisis here and abroad. But more importantly, what I want to focus on today is how world-changing faith can change lives for personal transformation. The global crisis of 2020. You know, I like to watch massive world destruction movies. Is there anybody out there that likes to watch those movies? The whole world's falling apart. Come on. It's church, I know, but come on. There's got to be a few more of you that like those global. I don't really like them much anymore. 
Because world's global pandemic, those are scary words for us because we know what that means. We, we've lived through it in 2020. It, we've seen it affect our nation. We've seen it affect our city, our towns, our families. Global pandemic are words that have become very real and personal to all of us. And even as we enter a new year, we realize we're not out of the, the COVID woods yet, are we? We're hopeful that things will improve and continue to improve, but we know we're not, we're not out of it yet. We still have this, this enemy that we need to defeat. But with all of our resources, all of our wealth, all of our might, our medicine, our technology, we realized we weren't fully able to isolate ourselves or insulate ourselves from this enemy. We've learned that nobody is completely immune from this virus. In spite of our best efforts, we've seen loss and suffering and death. The pandemic of 2020 revealed to us just how vulnerable we are again, hasn't it? A microscopic virus can take our life. Something we can't even see. We've realized that a global crisis can become a personal crisis very quickly. But what if the unthinkable happened? What if there was no hope of a cure on the horizon? No remedy? No one coming to rescue us? What if we felt imprisoned in a place of total hopelessness? Total despair and total discouragement. Anybody felt a little discouraged or a little despairing of a, uh, in 2020? Anybody? Can relate to that even a little bit, right? Think of it was just total despair, no hope on the horizon. I want to tell you today that as bad as the coronavirus has been and is, that there's an even greater and more destructive global crisis that is affecting over half of the world's population today. It's a crisis that's been with us for, for forever. It's a crisis, a pandemic that attacks and afflicts the most vulnerable among us. It destroys the weakest, the helpless, and the most fragile. Like the coronavirus, it's largely invisible. But sadly, this, 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 this virus, this pandemic, this crisis I'm talking about, is largely preventable. In fact, there's even a cure. I'm talking about the global crisis of poverty. Now, there are many ways to define poverty, and there's many levels of poverty. So what I'm talking about today is globally and technically called absolute poverty. It's actually a term. Absolute poverty is what occurs in underdeveloped and third world countries throughout our planet. It's the type of poverty that you don't escape from. It's the type of poverty where you don't have food, you don't have water, you don't have medicine, you don't have anything to sustain your life. Your life is in a trajectory of downward spiral to, hope and to hopelessness and despair. Absolute poverty devastates nations, communities, families, and especially the most vulnerable, children. Today in our world, it's estimated that 1.2 billion people live on less than a dollar a day and almost 3 billion on less than two. Over half of the world's population is living in extreme and absolute poverty. And it's crushing them. This giant, this menacing giant of poverty is decimating and destroying lives. The truth is, estimates vary, but basically about $160 billion a year is one of the, the estimates that it would cost to feed the world's poor and starving. $160 billion. 
And if you're an economist, you don't even have to be an economist to know that we in America have more than enough resources to pay that bill. So then why, if it's not a lack of resources, why do we have this global crisis? It's complicated, and I don't have enough time to kind of go into all the reasons for global poverty. But I would simply say it's not a lack of resources. It's a lack of being able to get it to the people who need it. There's corruption. Uh, there's, there's, there's challenges with transportation. But ultimately, it's a lack of collective will. And here's why I say that. When the coronavirus hit, not long after that, we started talking about a vaccine. Anybody heard the term Operation Warp Speed? We've heard that, haven't we? Why did we put it in hyperdrive? Why did we go warp speed on that? Why? It's top of mind. It's a crisis. It's critical. It affects us. It affects us personally. So we did something about it, right? Why is there no Operation Warp Speed to wipe out global poverty? Why not? January 3rd, 2021, it's estimated that an average of 1,029 people are dying every day still of the coronavirus. Every day. That's horrible. That's terrible. Let's pray that that number goes to zero. It's terrible. In contrast, it's estimated that well over 1,000 people die every single hour from absolute poverty. And over half of those are children. Every hour of every day, that's happening. While we're sitting here for the next hour, that's going to happen. It's going to, that global crisis is going to become a personal crisis for over a thousand lives. And over half of those are going to be children are not going to be with us at the end of the service. I don't tell you these statistics to depress you or discourage you or to paralyze you that there's nothing that can be done. I share with this, you this information that's troubling to equip you with knowledge, with information. But I want to show you that you can do something. You can do something about global poverty today. You can punch it right in the face today. Do you want to do that? You want to punch it right in the face? You can do it. We can take down that giant as God's church is mighty and powerful. And we can do that today. The global crisis of poverty leads to a personal crisis of the family. Poverty destroys families and leaves widows and orphans in its path of destruction. See, we can't talk about the crisis of the orphan or the widow without talking about what's causing it. It's poverty. It's crushing poverty. In these underdeveloped countries where poverty is extreme, such as Ethiopia, if a father dies or is out of the picture, the mother is unable, in most cases, to care for the children, unable to provide for them. There's just no options for her. So the only option she may have is to prostitute herself or her children to feed them. Can you imagine that if that was what you had as your options? What would you do if your children are starving? What would you do? So the disintegration of the family leads to a personal crisis of the child. You get orphans. The personal crisis of orphans UNICEF and the World Health Organization estimates about 160 million orphans worldwide. Nobody knows the total number. could be far beyond that. And an additional 150 million street children. Estimated about 5,760 more children become orphans every 
single day. And what happens to these kids? What happens to a five-year-old in a third world country on the street in Africa or India? What happens to them? What do you think? Does God care about that? What do you think? God wants to open our ears of faith to hear their cry. Does God care? Are the poor, the widow, and the orphan on God's heart? What do you think? You think so? Do you think he hears their cry? Throughout the scriptures, we find God expressing his love and care for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. He doesn't turn a deaf ear to their cries. In Exodus, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. In Psalm, O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Do you think man who is of the earth causes terror to the orphan? Do you think it's terrifying to be a, a widow, an orphan? In Job, so that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him, and he heard the cry of the afflicted. They are an afflicted. They are afflicted day in and day out. We need the Spirit of God to open our ears, to move us close enough to hear that cry. Can you hear that cry this morning? Can we hear it? We need the Spirit of God to move us close enough to hear that cry. Next, God wants to open our eyes of faith to see their suffering. In Matthew chapter 9, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you see there? Jesus saw the afflicted. Are the orphans like sheep without a shepherd? Is that widow like a sheep without a shepherd? Does he really care if someone was hungry? Did he care if someone was hungry or in pain or discouraged or depressed or diseased? Did Jesus only care about the spiritual part and not about the physical? What do we see in the scriptures? Do we not see Jesus caring for the whole person? Does he not care about the whole person? Absolutely. Jesus got up close and personal. He just jumped right into their mess, didn't he? He just didn't hesitate. He just got right in and got up close and got personal. That's what we see. Look at all the times in Scripture where he stopped to encounter. He stopped what he was doing. And he met that person. The woman at the well. Zacchaeus up in the tree. The unclean woman. The unclean leper. The blind beggar. The man born blind, the demon-possessed child, the paralytic by the pool. Do we not see Jesus stopping and encountering and entering into the lives of those that were hurting? Do we not see Jesus say, he leaves the 99 to go find the one? Have any of you been the one? Have any of you been the one that Jesus left the crowd and come found you? Anybody? I've been the one. Have you been the one? Aren't you so glad that Jesus came for you? Are you glad that he didn't just say, well, that's just one. I'm just concerned. He went for you. He came for you. And he's still doing it today, isn't he? Is Jesus still doing that? Is he still doing that today? Does he care about the individual? How's he doing it? He's doing it through us, right? He's doing it through his church. We are his hands and feet, his eyes and ears, his heart. He's doing it through us, his body. So what about our hearts? 
Do we care? Do our hearts reflect the heart of God? Do our priorities, our possessions, our, our passions, do, do they reflect what's on God's heart? He wants to open our ears to hear the cries. He wants to open our eyes to see the suffering. He wants to open our hearts and be filled with compassion. And he wants to open our hands of faith to provide for their needs. In James chapter 1, verse 27, God defines what true religion is. It is pure and undefiled before God the Father to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. There's that word affliction again. And to keep oneself from being unstained by the world. True religion, true worship, we know is about serving others. That's how we show our faith and show our true worship for God is how we care for one another. In Deuteronomy, for there will never cease to be the poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Proverbs 31, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. In James chapter 2, what good is it, brothers? What good is it if someone says he has faith but doesn't have any works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things that they need for their body? What good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Do you see that? What type of faith are we defining here? Not bold faith, dead faith. Dead faith is worthless. I saw these scriptures just as we just read these scriptures come alive to me once again very personally and very powerfully on a trip two years ago to Ethiopia where once again confronted by that menacing giant of poverty. He's walking all around third world countries, underdeveloped countries, and he is just decimating lives, just roaming around tormenting people. And I saw his face again. We were leading uh, one of our teams in visiting our sponsored families. And we're in a typical area where our projects are, where little huts are and mud huts. And we, we went into one of these huts and we saw two women visiting. And, and one of these ladies was just sobbing, just broken. And we asked, what's going on here? What's, what's happening? You could just see the hopelessness. And there she is. There's the actual lady, uh, the lady standing there. Her name is Abona. She is our accountant. And Abona shared with us what was going on. Uh, we learned that this, 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 this mom, she had these two little babies, little kids, and she had no job, she had no husband, no father, uh, nobody there. She had nothing to provide to feed her children. And she was broken because the day before, she had made a decision that she was going to go back to her home village and she was going to abandon her kids on the street. And she was telling her neighbor about that decision right when we walked in. She didn't know anything about what we do. She didn't know nothing. She just had no options. So she was just broken. She was saying goodbye to her children. She was leaving the next day. Can you imagine if we would have showed up a week later? Those children would be on the street. So here we are. We're in this situation. And, and we see this lady. We encounter it. And... Judy. How I love Judy. Judy is a widow herself from Boise, Idaho. She was on that trip and she was with us. 
And Judy saw this. And before we left on the plane to Ethiopia, Judy told me, God is going to show me which family I'm supposed to sponsor. And I said, I know he will. This is what Judy wrote from this experience. She said, my heart broke as I asked if I could take care of this issue today and help this woman keep her children. Our father was not late. He was just in time. For this reason, I went to Ethiopia. The tears were flowing as we saw this miracle happening. This organization has saved another mother and her children. I went back to the bus and retrieved the gifts that I had brought. But I was, as I was giving them to her, I couldn't speak. The emotion was overwhelming. I wanted to tell her that God had heard her and how much he loved her. But in the end, all I could do was cry with her and hold her. Yeah, that's, the, that's exactly right there. Judy did that. I saw again how God opened our eyes to the need, our ears to the cry, our hearts to the pain, and Judy's hands open to meet that need. And the next picture, I don't need to even describe. That's a year later. That's Judy on the next mission trip. Go back to the previous and then show that one again. Yeah, show it again. There we go. And bring up. That's a year later. Do you see anything different? Anything? Do I need to talk about it? Do you think that Judy moved a mountain by her faith? I'd say that's mountain moving right there. Because there was a mountain on top of that woman crushing her. It was called poverty. And there was a mountain on top of her. And Judy stepped in and moved the mountain. She said, be removed. That lady is doing amazing today. I saw it. A family preserved and an orphan prevented. Judy changed the world. That's world-changing faith. This is what God wants to do with each of us. He wants to move us to move mountains. Now, go back and read Matthew 17 and Matthew 21 if you get a chance. And you'll see something that's easily missed. Jesus said, you will tell that mountain. If you just have that much faith, you will tell it to move and it'll be removed. Nothing will be impossible for you. Some of us are waiting for Jesus to move mountains and he's saying, you move it. You exercise bold faith and declare it gone in your life. You move it. That's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants to move mountains in our lives and he wants us to move mountains in other people's lives by exercising bold faith. So are we open to that? Are we open to see specifically and personally how Jesus wants to do that today? On this very day, how is he calling us to exercise true religion and bold faith? I'm so glad that Ethiopia is one of the places that Lake City feels called to, to serve. I'm so thankful for that. And God has opened a door of faith for Lake City to walk through. And this is exciting stuff. We see that it is God who opens doors and closes doors throughout the scripture. And in Acts chapter 17... And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. For a wide and effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And in Colossians, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. God has opened this door and this door is called Hanacha. Can you say it with me? It's an Ethiopian word. Hanacha. No, you didn't get it right. Let's try it again. No, you did. I'm kidding. 
Good job, because I didn't get it right the first 10 times I tried to say, is it Hanicha? What is it? What is it? Hanicha. He's opened a door in Hanicha. On our last vision trip in October 2019, we took about a team of 14 back to Ethiopia, and you'll see a couple familiar faces there. You'll see Pastor Jim's wife, Jackie, and her lovely mom, Faye. Love Faye. I wish I could take Faye on every trip. She is the most amazing woman. And uh, thankful for that, that team uh, that we took in 2019. About midway through our trip, we're traveling down to one of our South Project areas. And as happens in Ethiopia, weird things always happen in there. And we're driving down the bus. It's a long ride. And the bus stops and a guy gets on. This is normal. Like, the bus just pulls over and a guy gets on. Like, what is this? How do you do? Who's that? What? Anyway, it was our... It was one of our ministry partners. His name is Pastor Zerahun. Now, Pastor Zerahun, he's probably like about uh, this tall, maybe on a good day. He's the biggest man I've ever met. He's a giant. He's a giant killer. He should just have a T-shirt. I'm going to bring him a T-shirt. Pastor Z, giant killer. Reason being is he leads a team of 40, 45 evangelists that spread throughout Ethiopia and go into the greatest strongholds of Islam. And they preach the gospel. Is that something you kind of want to sign up for? Meet me at the back. You want to exercise bold faith? You can be a Muslim evangelist today. How about that? Yeah, we can sign you right up. And he leads this team over there and they do an amazing work. Well, he gets on the bus in about two seconds. He starts telling a story uh, to one of our team members and we're all listening. He leads this ministry again. It's called Watch and Pray. Amazing work. And I love spending time with him because miracles are always happening. So he begins to share this story that about six years in this place called Hanicha, there were no believers. And he sent some evangelists there and they began to proclaim the gospel. In a short time, there's about five or six new believers. And they began to worship and pray and fellowship in one of the believers' homes. Well, the surrounding community, the Muslims began to hear about this. And they were getting upset. They didn't like that. And the hostility continued to grow. In very short order, they came and they burned down the new believer's house. And he and his family barely escaped with their lives. Well, when Pastor Z heard about this, he immediately went uh, to Hanicha. Wouldn't, isn't that what you'd do if you found out there was uprising and they're burning Christians' homes? Is that what you're going to do the first next thing you're going to do is go there? Well, again, like I said, Pastor Z... And he goes there and he gathers these believers and he gathers the evangelists and they begin to pray. And they begin to pray loudly and, and he begins to pray that God would bless their enemies, show his love to the enemies, that he would show his love and care and forgiveness. And the crowd starts growing. The community starts showing up. The Muslims start showing up. They're listening to him pray and they're like, what's going on? So finally they say, why are you praying for us? We're your enemies. Why are you praying for us? And he says, Jesus is good for me. He's good for you too. Jesus loves me. He loves you too. Jesus forgave me. He forgives you too. And they just don't know what to do about this. Well, the more they begin to talk and engage and the more he begins to speak the truth and love and grace to them, you know what they do next? Exactly what you thought. They went back to their surrounding areas. They got all kinds of building supplies. They came back and rebuilt the Christian's home bigger, better than he ever had one before. Can you believe that? That actually happened. 
Amazing. Since that time, by the work of those evangelists in that area, the church has grown from five believers now to over 500 believers in Hanukkah. Can I get an amen or a clap on that or something? You still with me? Are you with me? Over 500. This is the church in Hanukkah today. I think Pastor Z exercised some bold faith. What about you? Huh? So we're hearing this story, and I feel the Spirit of God moving and saying, well, maybe there's an open door in Hanukkah we should go check out. So part of our team, the next day, there's the church in Hanukkah that's been established. The next day, part of our team goes to Hanukkah. And our team meets with the pastors and the elders. Now, they don't know who we are. They don't know Mission 127 or anything. They just know pastors, he's coming and to get the leaders together. And so all the elders and pastors begin to share their testimony, how they were former Muslims and how Jesus revealed himself to them and how they came to faith in Christ. And they were sharing their testimony. Each one is going through and doing that. And while they're doing this, our country representative, he's, he's the director of the ministry in Ethiopia. There he is. His name is Ababa. And that's inside the church in Hanicha. So they're sharing their testimony, and our team is sitting there, and the pastor is sitting next to Ababa. And he hands Ababa, the next uh, picture is the letter. He writes a letter. And this letter is from the pastor, and he says, Ababa, will you please mail this for me when you go uh, back to the city. And this, this letter is written to the uh, social affairs office in Addis, the capital city. Will you mail this for me? Ababa says, sure. And so they're sharing their testimony, and Ababa is reading this letter. And this letter is from the pastor, and it's a desperate plea for help uh, for, for the families. He lists out all the people who are critically ill, diseased, disabled, orphaned, uh, widows, everything. And it's a plea, please, I need help. My people are suffering. They're starving. I need help. He gives this letter uh, to Ababa. And Ababa opens this letter and reads it. And he gives it to the members of our team and says, I think this letter is for you. Because he realizes that God had established a divine appointment. The U.S. church, the Ethiopian church, the Watch and Pray Evangelism Ministry, Mission 127, it all happened and God made it happen. And the amazing thing is, how have you ever had this happen where God has given you an answer before you even asked the question? Has that ever happened to you? That he's already preparing the answer before you ask the question? That's exactly what happened. The answer was sitting right in the room to this letter. Clearly God has opened the door. Amazing. As a result of this open door, the global missions team and the elders have approved expanding our partnership. And we're excited to walk through this open door. But we're going to do it together. Each one of you has an opportunity this morning to walk through that door called Hanicha. And here's how you can do it. You can sponsor a waiting family today. Last week and the week before, these families that are in absolute poverty came to the Hanicha church. And they were interviewed. And in order to get into our program, it has to be assessed by the leadership of the church and by Mission 127 leadership. This family is not going to make it. This family will disintegrate. That's how bad it has to be for you to get into our program. Because we, everybody's poor there. Everybody's extreme poor. 
So once that's assessed, you can come in. Those two families were assessed that way. They're not going to make it unless they get help. So we have a lot of families that are waiting and are praying and hopeful. They're praying for you this weekend. So you can sponsor one. So how do you do that? For those of you who, who don't know, I'm going to make it real simple. It's real easy to sponsor. To do that, it costs $50 a month. We send 100% of that to Ethiopia to care for the families. We'll keep any back here in the U.S. We send all your sponsorship money over there. First six months, we try to stabilize this family. Food, medicine, clothes, shelter. I mentioned to somebody in the last service that, that the way it works in Ethiopia is school is free. But in order for you to go to school, you've got to provide yourself a lunch and the books and the uniform. These, they can't afford, they don't have that resource. So the kids can't go to school. So how does that continue the cycle of poverty? We make sure they can go to school because we provide the things they need so they can go to school and get an education with the hope of getting out of this. And so after six months of stabilizing them, get the kids in school, then we look for an income-generating activity, a, a small business, and we invest in them. We identify a business, bread-making, uh, coffee shop. There's a lot of different business, vegetable stands. And we invest in them, about a $500 microloan, and they pay it back. They all of them do. They want to. They start running their business. They pay back their loan over two years, interest-free, and then we graduate them. And then you as a sponsor, we send communication to you and say, guess what? Your family's graduating. You don't need to sponsor them anymore. However, I have this family that needs to be sponsored. Would you consider sponsoring them? And we find that often. Some of you are second generation, third generation sponsors in this church. You've been through that process with us. And so our goal is to give them short-term support for long-term transformation. And believe me, that's what they want. They don't want to just get support. They want to get out of poverty. And this is a way to do it. And we have a way, a very solid pipeline, to get that money to them and make the change. In spite of corruption challenges, we have a way. God has established this open door. We've had over 100 families graduate from our program. And we're, we're getting better at how to do this. It's not easy work, but we're getting better. So my hope is that you might consider taking one of these families home with you today. Now, not that I'm a competitive person at all, but I would say that last night uh, was an amazing time. 24 families were sponsored last night. That's cool, right? That's awesome. That is amazing. Well, the, the next service, they didn't want to be outdone. The nine o'clockers, I told you, they were on fire. Guess what they did? Well, they matched it 24. So I'm not, I'm not saying any pressure, guys. I'm not, I'm not twisting your arm. I'm just saying, you know, it's 24, 24, whatever. Anyway, we just hope that you would consider that. If you've already sponsored a family, guess what? You can sponsor more than one. I had that question once. I thought, wow, what a dumb guy I am for not even explaining that. You could adopt all 50 today if you want to. It's totally cool with me if you do that. But you can adopt more than one. So I hope you'll consider that. If that does interest you, see us at the back table. We'll get you signed up. We're going to upload more families to our website, which is www.wepreventorphans.com orphans.org we prevent orphans.org so be looking for that um, also for those of you online if you want to look at that feel free to do that anyway
At the beginning of this message, I asked you a few big questions. Do you believe that God can use you to change the world today? I hope you believe that. It may not be a family. It may be some other way. But I hope that you will really think on that question and that you'd be willing to say, yeah, I believe that God can use me to change the world today. And secondly, are you open to allowing God to use you to change the world today? Would you please pray that you would open, be open to that, that you would allow God to use you to change the world today? He wants to do that, absolutely. There are so many ways for us to, to get engaged and get involved and exercise bold faith. For you, it might be to serve locally. It might be to serve on one of the other ministries here at this church. It might be to, to um, adopt or do foster care. There's so many great resources at this church. Connect with one of our global missions team members and look at other opportunities to serve in global missions. Connect with one of our pastors here about other local uh, ministries that we have going on right here at Lake City. Just start by praying, God, I want to go from dead faith or weak faith or small faith to bold faith. Show me, Lord, the next steps. And let him lead you. Trust him that he'll do it. And finally, I just hope that you would leave here today just being willing to exercise just a mustard seed size of bold faith. And believe God can use you. Remember, it's not the quantity, it's the quality, it's the type. Bold faith. Choose it. You can choose it today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you care for the widow and orphan and poor. That they are on your heart. That they are a priority and a passion for you. But yet you want us to align with your heart and your plans for them. And you have very specific ways for each one of us in this room opportunities to exercise both faith to engage and help the widow, the poor, and the orphan. And Lord, if we will just listen, you will open our eyes and ears and hearts and hands that we can respond, we can extend, and we can move mountains. We can do that and we can do it today. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do in your holy name. Amen.